Hi, everyone, and welcome to DataFem, where we engage you with stories of how innovators across the globe are using data to achieve new heights in their respective industries. I'm Danielle, founder of Decayo Data, and with nine episodes under our belt, I decided to take a mid-season break to regroup. Self-care is so important for businesses as well as people. But we're back now, and I'm so excited to share with you my new friend and DataFem fan, Dr. Gina Merchant's story of her journey into data science. She has her PhD in public health, and I think you will really enjoy her insights. Let's get started with you telling us a little bit about your background and how you got involved in data science. I actually started my love of data, so to speak, when I was getting my master's degree in experimental psychology um, at Cal State San Marcos. And I had gotten my undergraduate in psych and I had become interested in measurement. Um, I was focusing on health psychology and understanding, you know, how do people have a relationship with physical activity in particular. Um, and this was back when accelerometers were like worn on the hip or on the wrist. Um, and there still is a rich, you know, uh, research field in this area, but things have evolved obviously where, you know, you can use way more passive sensing, like way more sophisticated technologies to get a signal for how active someone is. But uh, needless to say, this was, you know, back in 2009 and I was also interested in how people were self-reporting and what kind of convergent validity you would get from self-report with um, your accelerometer data. And I also was interested in cultural differences because we know when you ask people to self-report behaviors and then you ask about different latent constructs such as like, you know, something that's time varying like your mood or something that's more like trait um, like your confidence to execute or your perceptions, beliefs, etc. Um, that the way that you ask those questions, you will get different responses based on someone's um, cultural and ethnic background. And so I guess in that process, you know, we were trained in SPSS and that was even intimidating for me at the time because I'm actually a high school dropout and people are often surprised to hear that because I went on and got a PhD, I did a postdoc, you know, now I'm a behavioral data scientist. And in my master's degree training, you know, I had performed really poorly on the GREs. I didn't have like the fundamental math skills. And I think that I was very fortunate to have two of probably the best stats teachers you could have. Um, Dr. Marie Thomas, who's a psychometrician, and then uh, Dr. Wes Schultz, who specializes in social norms, um, energy conservation um, behaviors. And I took uh, two of their classes and then I ended up TAing. And I just fell in love with statistics. And I realized that I could apply the same skills as a writer, which we can talk about more, but um, I think there's a lot of parallels there. 
to, at the time I was still doing SPSS, but just the way that I would learn from the data, I, I just felt very comfortable, like, you know, with the assumptions of like ANOVAs and what does it mean to, you know, have like, you know, mean square error and like when you're learning to do, um, you know, analysis of variance by hand and like just kind of taking the raw data points that you collected in a lab setting because that's what um, a lot of the psych experiments were is like just very controlled and you would get these data and then how do you make sense of them? And I just thought that was like a really beautiful journey from like soups to nuts. Before we get into SPSS versus R, um, let's talk about assumptions as it comes to education. Like I just, when I talk about diversity, it's not only diversity of gender, it's diversity of background, you know? I don't know anybody else who dropped out of high school and has a PhD. I do know a lot of people who dropped out of high school and kind of went on into coding and have a really successful career, but a PhD is different. So, you know, when you're talking about these stats professors, um, did you get your GED and go on to undergrad? Or did you just go straight into a PhD? Yeah, so I got my GED um, right away when I was like, I think I was 16 or 17. Or sorry, that's the, yeah, the GED, the high school equivalency. And then I started in junior college. And that's where I met my now husband. So I really had to like um, climb, I guess, so to speak, um, over a number of years to get the foundational knowledge and like the right kind of, you know, check the right boxes um, at an institutional level to make myself get into the programs that would advance myself. I think what was really, really hard for me as I transitioned from undergrad is that, well, two things. One, I remember um, I was also a collegiate athlete, so I had transferred a couple of times, but I finished my degree at uh, UC San Diego, and I didn't have like the final requirement for the psych program, which was calculus. It was just like your basic calc, and there I had to test into it, and I didn't test into it because I just didn't know, you know, basic algebra. Like I, I just wasn't good enough at it to like score on this standardized exam, and I remember being so angry. <laughs> because I was like such a good student and I had just worked so hard. So I had to go take uh, calculus at this junior college. And I think that that speaks, like you said, to diversity that is often unseen. Um, you know, I present, I'm, I'm white, I am from West LA. You know, I was never looked at when I was in the classroom setting as somebody who couldn't achieve anything she put her mind to. Um, and I think when you talk about um, assumptions, whether they're how the person presents or whether they're like the assumptions of a statistical test, you know, knowledge is power. I think what you said about unseen diversity is really important. That's kind of the core of what I want to talk about on the podcast. You know, somebody can be your, you know, stereotypical white male in tech and still have, um, you know, a diverse background that's worth telling. You know, I'm sure our audience is already reeling with um, tons of questions just about your background, but let's get into the um, transition from SPSS to R that you 
made. You described it so well to me. Yeah. So I was in my uh, PhD program and I was working with um, an amazing group, uh, Dr. Simon Marshall, who was my PhD advisor. Um, and then he left academia and was actually an inspiration for me to ultimately test the waters in industry. Um, and we were part of a group with uh, Dr. Kevin Patrick um, and Dr. Greg Norman. And, and we were really invested in uh, wireless technology to both assess behaviors, like I mentioned from a physical activity perspective, um, and like using those technologies in a public health. So more of a, I, I had switched from psychology to public health because I wanted to focus more on prevention. And I knew I didn't want to get a PhD in clinical psych, but I did want to get a PhD at the time, I thought, because I wanted to be a professor. And that uh, group that I was a part of had also stood up one of the very first fully remote clinical trials around weight loss. Uh, so looking at um, initially, they wanted to study like the prevention of weight gain among young adults, because as people transition out of the home, you know, all of a sudden you're out of your comfort zone, you have to make all of these like, quote unquote, adult decisions. And so, so we were one of a series of um, university centers that was part of what's called the early trials. And everyone was looking at a different kind of method to test this, but essentially delivering remote um, support through, you know, our trial was looking at Facebook, text messaging, um, in-house apps that were built um, with some of our engineering teams and a relationship with Stanford. And then uh, we had a website and we did text messaging. And so over a two-year period, there was a group of young adults uh, randomized to treatment and control, and they were exposed to all of these different, you know, behavior change techniques and um, public health campaigns that were designed to help them in their weight loss goals. And so the primary outcomes uh, were weight change at 6, 12, 18, 24 months, and then secondary outcomes were a bunch of changes in psychosocial variables. And I did my dissertation on those data, and the proposal and the process for proposing your dissertation, you know, obviously it's very rigorous, you have to go through a committee, and it just became very clear to me that SPSS was not gonna cut it anymore. I had actually published my second um, ever first author publication in JMIR uh, called Click Like to Change Your Behavior. And to this day, that's like my favorite title. Um, but doing the data analysis for that in SPSS, um, and it was just like a, an interim analysis descriptively looking at the Facebook content that the trial had pushed out to the users and then like looking at over time what engagement people had had. And really, this was also at the beginning of this idea of what does digital engagement for your health behavior change look like? But it was super painful and it was extremely obvious that I was not going to be able to execute on my dissertation goals if I stuck with SPSS. That is quite the conundrum. You know you can't continue with the software or the program that you have, but then like, how do you motivate yourself to get to the next level? Because it's like you have that awareness where it's like, ah, I can't continue. But then having the motivation to get there is something different. I mean, looking back on it, I, I don't think it's kind of like ignorance is bliss. 
I think at the time, you know, I, I was fortunate, you know, my PhD program, you know, I'm a very competitive person. So I think, yeah, like you mentioned background, like I'm very driven. So like those qualities I think do help, but don't get me wrong. I was extremely intimidated, but I think, I think two main factors. Uh, one is that I, because I'm competitive, I'm competitive with myself. And I, I set a goal that I wanted to use these data. I, I recognized it was a natural extension of my interest in, you know, what is knowledge? How do you derive variables out of passively acquired data? Um, so I was very much like keen on, on seeing that through. And I really wanted to work with the, the data from that trial. And then I saw the colleagues that I had gotten in touch with through um, James Fowler, Dr. James Fowler, who wrote the book Connected uh, on how from data from the Framingham Heart Study, weight, weight uh, like gain, weight loss, and just your obesity uh, and the prevalence of obesity or, or the incidence spreads within social networks. And so I had gotten together with what at the time was called the Human Nature Group. And I forget what the new name is, but it's basically a group of a very diverse set of scholars. So mostly political scientists. And then I think the second largest group is public health uh, researchers, but like infectious disease people, um, people that study, um, you know, the, the political scientists often work with a lot of archival data that they take from, you know, written records and they're, they're doing a lot of NLP. And so this group was meeting once a week and James Fowler was on my dissertation committee and he was like, Hey, you should come join this group. And so I did. And I think that that was my first introduction to the possibilities of R. And I think I saw it as like, you know, at the time it really was mostly men, like there weren't as many women. And I just felt, and, and some of the guys were great. Like they were very welcoming, like, Hey, you know, treating me as an equal, here's this thing. But at the same time, there was this sense of like, I don't want to say they were like turning their nose up at me, but like, what's this SPSS stuff? And so I was like, well, if they can do R, like I can do R. And so I just, when I went literally to my proposal and got asked, like, what do you, you know, you have to spell out, you know, your research questions, your hypotheses and your plan of analysis. And then in that, you know, process, I, I had to articulate that I was going to use R to analyze the data. And I think what I was sitting at the time was like 3.5 million, you know, Facebook, you know, rows of data. And, and a lot of those end up being duplicates and you have to, you know, we can get into like the data cleaning, which was 90% of what I did. Um, but I just, I pitched it and I said I was going to do it and then kind of went home and was like, okay, holy shit. Now, now, now I have to go learn how to use R. <laughs> and what was it like learning to use R? I ask because a lot of people say that there's a really steep learning curve. Yeah, it was really hard. I, to this day, remember how hard it was. But I think all of my experience in life, like both in inside like research and academia, as well as outside, had taught me that you really do just put one foot in front of the other and... I don't think I thought about it consciously at the time, but it, it is, you know, I draw a lot of parallels in my life to like my experience as an athlete. And, you know, when you're training, um, I played soccer, but I also ran one year of track. 
Um, and when you're training in, in running, I did uh, middle distance and sprints. And, you know, you, you have to kind of just show up every day and, you know, you'll have a coach and you'll just do what you're told or like what the workout is. And you're not necessarily going to get an immediate like, oh, wow, this is like making me a better, like I'm faster today. Like that's just not how that works. But, you know, weeks and months go by and then all of a sudden you just, you start to get faster and you get better and then maybe you have a breakthrough performance. And I think it's very similar with coding. So I started, um, I had a really wonderful friend and mentor. Um, she was a data manager who was part of our group and she was, she had a master's in statistics and I think she's gone back now and gotten a master's she's at UCLA in math and her name is SUNY. And then there was another, uh, woman who's a friend and mentor and her name is Kristen and so SUNY Kristen and I got together and they were way more proficient like they could you know manage all their data in R um, and I said look let's let's form an R club so we just formed like an R club um, the three of us and I would go I think at the time it was twice a week and they would just I don't want to say yell at me but like we would have my computer up on the screen and I would have some problem and I would literally have like the white R script in front of me and they would be like telling me what to type. And that just evolved over a year's time. I think we did it for two years and I could talk about like what it looked like from the beginning to the end, but essentially I just showed up every day and I, you know, did my coding and I, I had to just get through it. Um, and I started in base R and I, I hated it. Like, the brackets and the parentheses, like no one ever explained that to me. And I was like, this is, there's so many dollar signs. Like what is all the subsetting? Um, but that was what Kristen and SUNY did. And then once I learned um, about <clears throat> the tidyverse, like the whole world opened up to me. I was like, oh my God, deplier. Like here's all these functions that can just make my life so much easier. Um, and then a friend of mine, Ernesto Ramirez, who is now at Evidation Health, he joined our group because he was um, an ABD, all but your dissertation, and he came back to finish, and he needed to do a lot of visualization for his work, and so then I started to get into ggplot, and I just, like you said, it's a steep learning curve, but I think I, you know, I had to get through it, and like, or I had to get out, like I had to finish my PhD, and the only way out was through, and I started to have these, like, small wins, and then when the tidyverse came along, it just, it, I was like, I, I just felt like I'd arrived. Like everything started to come together. A lot of people say that about the tidyverse. I am getting into the tidyverse because of Twitter's um, Tidy Tuesday that Thomas Mock does. And, you know, I've been kind of studying it on my own, but BASAR was all we really did in MBA. And like, if we did use Dplyr, which we did, it wasn't like part of that whole system. So I'm really excited to go to our studio conference and um, there's an event the day after the conference that's all day and it's like a Tidyverse boot camp. So I'm really hoping that that will, you know, help me um, get really caught up. Um, I was going to say you'll love it. I did that boot camp at the R studio conference, I think in 2017. So I think you'll get a lot out of it. I think the big difference for me was like going back to this idea of um, 
writing and reading, um, especially in public health and just a soft money environment where you're writing grants. You know, I wasn't a PI at the time, but as a student and then as a postdoc, like I definitely did my share of grant writing. You were always trying to find ways to like remove text or even for abstracts for conference submissions. You want to, you know, make that sentence not hang over the next line. So you're, you get really good at efficiency in your production of content. And I think for me, like I said, I was working with data from all of these different sources. So for example, um, users could, or like participants in the study, they could respond back to text messages, to text messages with their weight, their calories, or their, um, let's see, weight, calories, or steps. Those data would like have a C, a W, or an S in front of them, but they could also input those data into the app. And I had to like make sure there wasn't overlap. So I was just doing so much data wrangling and when I would write in base R, you know, I was never good at loops, at for loops. And I was never really good at like the series of applies. And it just like never felt intuitive to me. And then when I was able to move to tidyverse, just the way, oh, and like I should add like piping. So it just felt like I was, <laughs> this is going to sound really cheesy, but kind of like writing poetry, like the way even it looked on the screen I was able to like see it and it just made sense to me. And I could, I could like go back the next day and like see where I could be even more efficient. And, and you have to be careful with this because you can make something so tight and have so many nested functions that like six months later, you'll be like, okay, so I took 10 lines down to four, but like no one can understand what the heck this means. <laughs> um, so, so there is a balance, but I guess it just felt more natural. It felt more operationally efficient. Um, and then, you know, going back to this idea of like diversity and inclusion and like, what does the R community look like? I, I was so inspired at the R studio conference, like, especially being an outsider, um, or, or just feeling, you know, I guess most of that's internal. Like I just felt like an outsider. I, you know, my, our first, my, my son was, I think like eight months at the time, my husband took a week off work and we went to Florida and I would go to the conference and I just was surrounded by people using the tidyverse. And I felt so uplifted by people telling me that, you know, I could do all of these things in R that I just didn't know I was capable of. So I think that that really pushed me into like, okay, like this, these are my people. This is like, a, I just felt a very strong sense of belonging. That's really great. And really good to hear going into that week. Um, I guess we can kind of switch gears just because it's such a natural transition and you can tell me and other attendees that haven't been before, like what are the best ways to take advantage of the conference? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good question because I think, I think sometimes it's, well, not sometimes, I think most people would say, you know, all conferences, I mean, depending on the size, it's just an overwhelming task. And I think preparation is really key. So, you know, whatever conference I'm attending, I, I guess the strategy that cuts across every, or all of them would be having the conference schedule ahead of time and 
you know, off, often now it's online, but I actually recommend getting a hard copy of the conference schedule because, um, and there's data to back this up for everyone who's like, oh, I don't even like write anymore. I just take notes on my computer. Um, just the touch and the feel of the paper and the way that you flip through, like, yes, like you can be faster to like type in a search bar to look for like the name of somebody that, you know, you know, that's going to be there that you want to listen to. But if you have that paper, uh, copy of the conference schedule, um, you just have this opportunity to like stumble across something that you might have not otherwise seen. But regardless of taking me up on that or not, um, the conference schedule is important because you can go in and highlight and like write down what you're planning on attending. And then I would say the next piece of advice would be, you know, when you show up there, um, you know, make sure that you don't like overextend yourself because it is very tiring. And I think in particular for the R studio conference, and then I think I've gone to one or two other, uh, like coding specific ones. So I went to the women's and statistics and data science. Um, at least for me, it's very cognitively intensive when, especially R studio, like you're live coding while you're trying to listen and you're trying to network and you need to give yourself the space and the time to like, have coffee, go to the bathroom, eat. And <laughs> um, yeah, and then the last piece of advice I'd say is really the networking is so valuable. So I was able to very briefly meet um, Gabriella, who, um, oh God, I'm blanking on her last name right now, but the founder of Our Ladies. And we just had this like impromptu, I had met a couple other people. And when I, I had just gotten into, um, that side of our community, like where they really push for diversity and inclusion. And we literally just met by happenstance and all, all of a sudden, like a group of three people, three women were like introducing each other. And then all these other women would like come by and like one person would know the other person. And I don't think I ended up being able to go to the lunch or whatever, cause I was actually breastfeeding at the time. And so, you know, I would go back with my husband and son, but I just, that, those, those like brief interactions, like however brief they are, they like, you know, you get someone's email or you get someone's business card and then you follow up, right? So, so make sure that don't be shy because I can say now, like as my career has evolved, like in the last few months, as I've been transitioning, I'm going to start a new job um, in February. I now take calls and emails and whatever from people who reach out to me to pay it forward. So I think don't feel like you're burdening a senior like programmer. I mean, if they're not going to get back to you after they've said to your face that they would, you know, maybe they're busy, maybe they're struggling, or maybe they're just, you know, excuse my language, but there are assholes out there. I don't think there's that many of them in the, in the art community. Like everyone's been awesome. Um, but if you don't put yourself out there, you'll never know. That is great advice, and I hope that in the future we go to an R-Studio conference in the same year, because your insights have been lovely, and I can't wait to share them with everyone in the data science community, but also especially the R-Studio attendees that I will be seeing in less than a week. So... Thank you to everybody for listening, and if you want to support DataFem on its adventure to 
cultivate the best stories in the industry, be sure to go to Patreon and you can become a patron there. There are several different levels of tiers that offer several different levels of perks that are all exciting. And some of them actually include conference discounts. So uh, you can go to patreon.com slash datafem and check us out. And we will see you back during our studio conference next week.